but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Hi everyone. So um, let's just let's just open the talk in prayer. And uh, Lord, I just I just thank you for this opportunity, this privilege it is to get the chance to speak uh, to your people today. I just pray that everything I said would be say would be from your wisdom, um, that it would be from your power, and that I would do your word justice today, Lord. Um, and uh, I pray this in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as Lorraine was uh, talking there from the, um, from the verse, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, we're going to read from 18 to 31, and I'm just going to go through it bit by bit. And we're just going to be discussing what God's wisdom is, and we're going to compare it to man's wisdom and see what we come up with. So, um, so let's start. Looking through verse by verse. So as Lorraine was just saying, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And that's Paul writing to the Corinthians there. And, um, you know, isn't it true, even in these times, and it's certainly true in the times back then, that God's plan for salvation defies logic. It defies human logic. It defies even the human logic of the time, the human logic of the Gentiles, and even God's people. They didn't really understand God's salvation plan. It seemed like foolishness to them. How was a victory going to be achieved by somebody dying on a cross? Um, how was um, a victory going to... They just didn't see him. They expected somebody who was going to be like a... They knew he was going to be a king, but they thought he was going to be a king in a kingly sense. He was going to be lavished with... You know, he was going to be attractive. He was going to be lavish in his, the way he dressed. He'd probably be you know, in the temple, sort of lording it over people in the day. That's what they were expecting. They were expecting somebody to come who was going to be a warrior, who was going to basically crush all the nations because they said he would rule the nations. So that they kind of expected it to be literal. But they were thinking in a human way. We need to realise as well that, you know, I know the world sort of today sees Christianity and sees the story of the cross as being illogical. They see it as diff- define human logic and it does defy human logic they would see us as being foolish for believing in what we believe in they would say that we are believing in a fairy tale basically because they're blinded to the true wisdom of God Um, 
it's weird, but the things that people consider to be logical in the world today in terms of a, how creation was made, how, how it came to be, people seem to think that it's completely logical and they, they seem to think that they completely know it all, that man knows it all about the creation of the world. But if you look around you at just anything in creation, if you look around at an insect, at an animal, at a plant, at our bodies, um, at all the, all the wonders of the universe it's actually quite illogical to think that that happened by chance. And that's what people are putting their faith in, and they need faith to believe in that, because the odds of it happening, the odds of this planet sustaining life, the odds of everything just working in harmony as it does in this world, and it really does work in amazing harmony. And even things like dreams, things like the sun appearing the same size as the moon, even though they're vastly different sizes and different distances from the Earth, for all that to happen by chance is illogical in itself. So God does defy this, this human logic, I think. You know, and how can we as human beings anyway claim to know all about the universe when we're stuck on what is effectively a speck in a vast universe, and yet we claim that we know everything when actually God has turned this on his head because we know very little and God has vast, vast wisdom. But what is the wisdom of God? Let's read on in this passage and, and find out what Paul says it is. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So basically God is turning human logic on its head. Paul is talking about how the people of Jesus' time and the people that they were trying to reach after, you know, they were going out, the apostles were going out to reach. They'd been blinded to their Messiah by pride. They'd not seen him. Even the Jewish people, even the the, the learned people, even the scribes and the Pharisees, they had an enormous knowledge of scripture. They knew scripture almost off by heart. And yet, how could they miss their saviour? Well, they missed him because, as I said, they were looking for something that was impressive. They were expecting somebody who was going to come and was going to wipe the floor with their enemies and he was going to basically do, you know, bring justice to all those people who weren't worthy and he was going to raise them up and you know, basically pat them on the back for how wonderful they were. And what they got was something that they couldn't really... First of all, they didn't recognise it, but they didn't want to recognise it. They'd created a sort of blind spot because in the prophecies, and there are many prophecies, Tony talked about all the prophecies that point to Jesus in the Old Testament, they cherry-picked these to sort of make Jesus into something that he actually wasn't. You know, they could have seen, if they'd have actually looked at those prophecies, they would have seen that Jesus was fulfilling them. But they were looking, they were still trying to look for this thing which worked out well for them and allowed them to keep their status, allowed them to keep sort of lording it over the people, to keep their um, man-made laws that they'd added to God's law, um, and that would keep the sort of status quo of things and keep the hierarchy that they had. But God didn't think in this way. You know, he had seen a people who had lost focus on him, had lost focus on the two, the essence of his commandments, which was love others more than yourself and love God. Um, But they totally lost it. And so while they expected him to come and do amazing things in their lives, God was thinking a different way. He was thinking about eternal salvation and ruling the nations eternally rather than in their lives. So to understand why they did that and to understand why we struggle a little bit as well, with this sort of wisdom, God's wisdom. I'm just going to do a quick comparison of how men think, generally. Men and women, that is. This is equal. We're always 
sort of flawed in this way as one another. Um, so let's just look at how men tend to think and how God thinks and, and compare the two. So I think it's fair to say that in life and even in church, a lot of people believe that you get out what you put in. So you work hard, you're going to get a reward. You're a good person, you're going to get a reward. This is how a lot of people think about God. They think, if I, I'm going to need to work my way to heaven to get in, or I need to be a good person to get in. So many people think that. But God's wisdom is completely different to that. That's the way man thinks. But God's wisdom is free grace. It's grace that goes to everybody. So whereas the Pharisees and stuff, they wanted a God that was going to put down all those people that weren't worthy and raise them up, God chose to give salvation to everybody. And it wasn't based on whether you're good enough, because we're all not good enough. It was based on free grace, basically. So there was no work involved, and there's no necessarily goodness involved. It's basically faith, which is very different logic than human logic. And this is why people struggle with the gospel, and it's kind of why people put down the gospel. You'd think people would like the idea of free grace, but people seem to like the idea that they need to work towards something or be good. And I guess that's because we like to have stereotypes. We like to build stereotypes and see where we sit in those stereotypes. We like to have people who we can call wealthy or people we can call poor or people we can call intelligent or not intelligent or talented or not talented and we like to structure things in little groups so that we know where we stand so we know whether we're at the bottom or the top Um, and that's very different than what God sees because God doesn't see hierarchy, he doesn't see the clubs of the church to separate, he sees his one church that is united already which is true believers in him Um, we tend to see success, qualifications and achievements as success in life you know um, people will be working their way to try and get better things or to become more popular well God sees it completely differently he's not looking for those sort of things he's not looking at our qualifications he's not looking at what we've done he loves he values love and he values compassion and caring for one another the sort of stuff that man sort of almost sees as weakness being content in your life being grateful for what you have in, God, in, in man's eyes, it's more important to be ambitious and to keep on driving forward and to keep wanting more. But in God's, in God's wisdom, it's, it's just completely different. We tend to value, or at least um, we tend to give a lot, put, put a lot on outside appearances. So we'll tend to see how people look, how popular they are. Certainly in this social media world, there's a a thing now where basically it's almost as if you haven't done something unless you shared it with people unless you put it out there unless you've been blatant in sharing what you're doing well God sees the opposite he values the things that are done in private so his wisdom again is completely different to human wisdom in this world we tend to look at blessings as being health and wealth on this earth not you know people do it to different degrees but generally health and wealth is something we see as important well God is looking in the eternal. He's looking at our health and wealth in eternity. You know, how are we working towards, you know, how, how, what are we going to get when we go to heaven? That is what, what matters to him. That is when he makes decisions about our lives. He's making those decisions because he wants us to see those riches and that reward in heaven. He's not as worried about what we have to go through in life because... It's such a small thing to him compared to eternity. So we need to try and think in that eternal way rather than in the worldly way. Our leaders, men, 
when men think of leaders, they're thinking of people who are in power and control. But God sees it completely differently. Again, he, his leaders, a lot of his leaders in the Bible were servant leaders. Jesus was the epitome of a servant leader. He came as a king to serve others, to wash the disciples' feet, and to save people who didn't deserve it. He totally turned it on its head. And again, it's totally against human logic that this would be the plan of God. You know, and we tend to value people or think that people are good if they're confident, if they're charismatic, if they fit in, if they're popular. You know, we see the likes on YouTube and stuff like that and we think, well, that must be good, that person must be good. But God looks, he values the meek, he values the rejected. And how do we know this? We know this through, through scripture and what God told us himself, what Jesus told us himself. We read through the Beatitudes, they are just illogical to us. It, it, it is foolishness when you look at it in, in man's eyes. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you'll notice here in the first part, he's talking about what's going to happen to us in this life, if we believe in Christ. And he's talking about then in the second part, what we stand to inherit. If we go through these things and we follow him and we value him and we put him first. And essentially, if we believe in Christ at the end of the day. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Can you see how disconnected this is with how we think. You know, he's saying we're blessed when people revile us and persecute us, when we're, when we're left out, when we feel that nobody values us at all. You know, when we do things in God's name to get out the gospel and people throw it back in our face. He's saying that we, we're, we should consider ourselves blessed. And that's because, as I said, he's thinking in the, in the eternal, which goes against all that we tend to feel. It doesn't seem that we're blessed when things are bad, when we're depressed, when we're suffering mentally, you know, when we are poor in spirit. It doesn't seem, that doesn't seem like a blessing. It doesn't seem like a blessing when we suffer people trying to put us down or trying to belittle our faith, basically. But God says it is a blessing. Jesus says, and we can trust him, Jesus said it's a blessing. You know, and that's, it's just hard to get our heads around when we're in this world and, and we're kind of conditioned to those worldly, that worldly logic. And just to endorse that, in Luke 6, uh, 24 to 26, this is Jesus speaking again. He says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation in this life, basically. He's saying, You've received your reward in this life, not in eternity. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep when it comes to judgment day. Um, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did of the false prophets. So you can see that God's people in the Old Testament, they were being all very nice, and the false prophets were really popular, because they were saying nice things. They were saying things that they wanted to hear. But the actual prophets, the ones who were telling the truth and were warning them, they didn't like them. They got discarded. They got rejected. They, they actually got killed. So, you know, you can see this total, total disconnect between experience and life and eternity. Now, what Jesus was saying in those last verses, he's warning people that we shouldn't put our trust in wealth, which rusts and decays 
you know, because it's pointless. It lasts for our lifetime and then it's gone. We shouldn't put our trust in happiness and in popularity because if we do that, we're missing out on a much greater inheritance in eternity. You know, and that's why we can be really encouraged to know that when we're going through hardship, when we feel awful, when we feel rejected, that this is how we're kind of supposed to be feeling. Because, you know, if, if you talk about, you hear about, we need to follow Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? If you're following Jesus' example, what happened to Jesus? He, he was the greatest person that ever lived. He was completely perfect in everything he did. He should have been loved. He was rejected and he was crucified. You know, so we should expect that there will be hard times in our lives. Um, but the thing that we can do is look forward to the fact, if we can think through godly eyes, we will understand that this is, our lives are a vapour. They are, God tells us that our lives are very, very short compared to eternity, and that's what they would be. You know, our, our lives are limited, eternity is endless. So I would encourage you to just say, it's worthwhile, keep on going, because... Um, because we have a great inheritance awaiting us if we trust in Jesus and, and we believe in him. You know, but it's difficult. We need to see things through God's eyes. We need to see that eternal, that eternal picture. So we'll just read on. Okay, so it says, Jews demand signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. It's just showing the absolute power of God, and the, 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 you know, that we can't really comprehend how wise he is. And again, it's very true today, um, both in Christian circles and in the world. You know, People still want those signs and wonders, don't they? They still want something exciting. They still want things that are going to prove God. They want the proof. They want the signs and wonders for entertainment. They want to apply human logic and wisdom to God and to change God so that he's relevant for these times because, you know, God isn't that popular. Maybe people aren't sort of wanting to, to buy the message of Christianity. So we have to make him sort of popular. We have to make him fit in with our logic, with our wisdom. You know, it's not a bad thing to try and learn more and to try and build up qualifications in your life. It's not a bad thing to learn more about the history of the Bible and to go to seminary and that sort of thing. That's, I'm not saying that it's a necessarily a bad thing, but what I'm saying and what the story of Jesus shows is it is a bad thing if you let it blind you to the simplicity of the gospel because the gospel is supposed to be understood by even little children. It's, it is basically simple and it's simple for a reason. And God as it says in the passages, he, he's created a stumbling block to the wise and those who seek signs and wonders because they're blinded by this puffing themselves up, believing. If we believe we know everything about God, if we believe we've created so much of a knowledge of how the Bible was written and all this sort of stuff, that we, we can tend to sort of believe we know best. When in actual fact, the simplicity of the gospel is, is where it's at. You know, and we should see through Jesus' story, it should warn us. You know, they put their trust in the impressive leaders of the time. They put their trust in the scholars, the people who they thought knew best. And it's obviously logical to mankind that you would go to those people, those people who are well thought of in society, to get your knowledge of Christ. 
But in actual fact, what God tells us in these passages and what God tells us and shows us in the Bible, in the examples in the Bible, is that God doesn't necessarily work through the impressive to human beings. He doesn't necessarily work through the most popular. In fact, sometimes people are popular as preachers for the wrong reasons. They're popular because they're telling a message that people want to hear, just as the Pharisees and the Sadducees tried to tell a message that people want to hear rather than the message which would have helped them. And do we need signs and wonders? Well, God does, ask, does, does tell us to seek spiritual gifts. He does, he does tell us to seek those sort of more blatant spiritual gifts like healing and miracles. It's, you know, we are asked to go for these, but they shouldn't become something that becomes central, absolutely overriding in our faith. It shouldn't be all we're going to church for is to see signs and wonders. There, there are Christians who will go to church to see because they're obsessed with the signs and wonders. It's all about seeing things. But in the Old Testament, didn't the Israelites just really frustrate God by they always wanted signs and wonders? They were always seeking signs and wonders. In Jesus' time, he actually bemoaned the fact that they were always following him because they wanted these signs and wonders. So we shouldn't let that cloud our basic faith because Jesus has done the only miracle and the only sign and wonder that we need. He saved us through faith alone. Um, and we don't need any more proof than that. Do- it's documented. We have all the proof we need. So we should be content with that. And if God gives us miracles, if God performs miracles in our lives, then all glory to God. Because he does answer prayer and he does still, I believe, miracles are still possible to happen today. But they shouldn't be the be-all and end-all to our faith because we have all the proof we need. Okay, so Paul says that um, Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. What does this mean? Well, I think what Paul is saying here is that Christ is the outward sign of God's wisdom and his power because he displays everything. He was perfect. He was perfect like God, and he was obedient to God perfectly. He's a model for us to follow. He is wisdom. Um, The Holy Spirit, in fact, um, it's, it's a guide that we have that can give us wisdom. You know, it's there at our disposal. It gives us, uh, later on in Corinthians 1, um, Paul says that it gives us the mind of God. If we seek the Holy Spirit, if we use the Holy Spirit, we can have, we have access to the mind of God. You know, it's why seeking Jesus, because he's the power of God and the wisdom of God, it's why seeking Jesus and reading the Bible is so important and, and, and listening to the Holy Spirit. Because this is how we get to know Jesus. This is how we, how we get wise. You know, if we seek nothing else in terms of our Bible wisdom, it should be to get to know the Gospels. It should be to get to know God's Word. Because if we don't know who Jesus is, we can be fooled easily. Just as people were fooled by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we can be tricked by preachers who are telling us things that don't line up with Scripture. You know, a lot of preachers who are particularly popular in in the world are popular for the reason that they're telling people that the story of the gospel is so that they can have amazing lives. And as we've seen in the Beatitudes, that isn't, and as we see through the Bible, that's not necessarily the case. God isn't interested in our health in this life or wealth in this life. And if people are reading things, if preachers are reading things into the Bible that suggest that we're going to have a wonderful time and we're going to be healthy and wealthy, then you have to read around those verses and just see, is that the truth? Because it doesn't add up and it doesn't add up with God's um, logic at all. So I'd say to you, when you're reading the Bible, if you're frustrated because you don't understand anything, just ask God for wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom, because he will give you that wisdom. But the only catch on that is that he might not give you that wisdom exactly at that moment. 
God will give you wisdom when you're ready for that wisdom. So you might find that you read a verse a hundred times. You might read a verse over 20 years and you just don't see anything in it. You just think it's a basic verse. There's nothing special about it. But God will just turn a light on in you one day where he will reveal the wisdom in that verse and you will go, wow, I can't believe it. I've read this so many times and I never saw that before. And that is the wonder of, of just the way that God gives wisdom. And it, it kind of makes you smile because you just think, that came from God. God is responsible for giving me this wisdom. You know, it's not myself. I can't learn that. It's something that God has decided to give me um, in, in time. So do ask for that spiritual wisdom and do be patient because God will give you that wisdom when the right time comes. Okay, so if we read on, um, it says, Brothers, consider the time of your calling. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly and despised things of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast in his presence. See how God changes hierarchy completely. He turns things on its head. Um, And you'll notice there, just so that I make sure that what I'm going to say now isn't sort of seen as a sort of me sectioning or stereotyping people into blocks. You know, these are people who are saved, these are people who aren't saved. You know, he does say that not many of those people were powerful, not many of those people were of noble birth. doesn't mean that you have to have a terrible life to be a Christian. You know, it's not necessarily the case. But there is this sort of way that God works, that he often works through people who are downtrodden. He often works through the unimpressive. He's not... In the Bible, anyway, it's not very often that he's working through the people who are incredibly popular with the world, the people who are pumped up and who, you know, believe they're particularly righteous. He often chooses the unimpressive instead. So rather than choosing Jesus to be a sort of a priest in the temple and to wear royal robes in the temple when he came to earth, he chose him to be a carpenter. And he chose him to be brought up in a town which many poor people thought nothing good came from. He chose John the Baptist to lead, lead the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist was someone who, again, wouldn't have been particularly impressive in, in life. He lived in the wilderness and probably looked a bit weird. But God chose him. And God chose fishermen as the people to spread, spread, spread the good news. He chose tax collectors, people who people hated. You know, he didn't choose the people you would expect him to choose. He chose the weak instead. And I think, you know, it's, we can think, well, that... It's silly that people miss Jesus, but when you think about it, if if Jesus was around today and was spreading his message through farmers and fishermen, would we listen to them or would we listen to the the leaders, the big leaders in the church? You know, it's difficult because, you know, it's hard to see. It seems foolish to believe people who don't have those qualifications and haven't, you know, done all that, 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 that reading that maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees had done in their time but this is how God works he, he works through the unpopular and, and the thing to notice is that these people who were lowly and unpopular they didn't get any more popular when they started following Jesus in fact they got more, un, more unpopular and many of them were martyred for what they did um, you know and this has been the truth, the truth over the years true Christians have been persecuted they've been persecuted by the world and they've actually been persecuted by the church as well the church over time has persecuted people who believe in Christ. Why would they do that? Why would they? Why would the world and why would we're spreading a good message? 
We're spreading a message that everybody has access to salvation and all you have to do is believe. That doesn't seem to be a particularly threatening thing, does it? It doesn't seem to be a thing that people would kill you for or hate you for. But I think the reason that Christians have been persecuted and persecuted by the church at times is because what's in it for them? You know, Jesus' message is things are given freely. You don't have to work towards things. Where is the profit to be derived from that? How can you get money out of people if Jesus' gift is free? How can you have power? How can you have hierarchy and systems of being above people if Jesus says that everybody is equal? So the problem is that the church, even in Jesus' time, Jesus' message threatened people who were in positions of power. It threatened to take away their livelihoods and their status. And they didn't like that. You know, and this is why Christians have been persecuted throughout the centuries, be it for um, printing the Bible, um, be it for, you know, in Paul's time, um, it was about, you know, when they went into to certain, uh, certain areas, it was because they were taking away the riches of the people who created idols for the pagans. You know, they were like, well, if, if, if people accept Jesus, they're not going to buy our idols. Um, and when they started printing the Bible and giving it to, to, to the public, this is in the time of the Reformation and so on, you know, the people, the powers that be wanted to stop that happening. You know, and, and now people get persecuted just for their faith alone. You know, just for standing by Christ. You know, we've got to ask ourselves, is this still the case today? You know, is God speaking through the people on YouTube with millions of followers who preach about you having access to loads of wealth in your life, you being able to be perfectly healthy, that, that illness was killed at the cross? Because people do preach that, or listening to people who tell them that if they work hard, they'll get better rewards. You know, is that how God is speaking today, or is God still speaking through the meek? Is he still speaking through the unimpressive? Is he still still speaking through the unpopular? Now, I'm not saying that all preachers who have got loads of followers aren't good. There are, you will find good messages out there as well. But what I'm saying to you is don't always assume that the impressive and the most followed is always right, because often... They're followed and they're popular for a reason. It's because they're telling people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Because God gives us what we need. You know, this disconnect between human wisdom and godly wisdom can be difficult for us as Christians because if we're praying for the wrong things because we want certain things, then it's quite possible those prayers aren't going to be answered because God is a good father. He's not a bad father. So if we, you know, if your, if your children was to ask you for, you know, for tea, I want to have 20 Mars bars, you're not going to say, yeah, of course, I'm going to give you 20 Mars bars because that wouldn't be good for them. You might give them a little bit of good, but you're also going to give them what they need, what they need for a healthy diet. You're going to give them what is required and what you know they need rather than what they think they know they need and want. And sometimes we need to try and look in the eternal and try to make sure that we're seeking the things that God wants in our lives. Because God will give us those things if they are good for us, basically. He's not going to give us anything that's bad for us. So let's wrap up by just reading this final piece, possibly. That's not working, but it doesn't matter. Um, It's fine anyway, because, um, yeah, I've only got one slide left. So, um, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. So let's remember here that, that basically God is our wisdom. And as it says here, it's a gift from him. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can do. And we can do all that reading and we can educate ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, it's God who gives that wisdom. It's a gift. And he, he tells us this and he's leveled out everything from the hierarchy so that we know that we cannot boast ourselves, that we're doing it ourselves. It's from God. So let's start looking for godly wisdom. Let's start trying to think in the eternal. It's not easy to do that. We live in a world, um, we, we are bombarded from, with things from the world. We live around people who are in the world as well. And it's very, very easy for us to concentrate, myself included, on worldly things that don't matter. But we need to start thinking, instead of what's happening now in our lives, we, start to, we need to start thinking more about what we've got coming. Because what we've got coming is priceless. And we're so privileged to have been given it. We've been given a victory that so many people in this world have been blinded to by their wisdom, um, their human wisdom and head knowledge. And we need to just be so grateful for that. You know, and I'd also say just know God's nature. Try and get to know God's nature by reading the Bible and by just connecting with the Holy Spirit that's indwelling in you. So you don't get tricked, you know, because there are people out there who will tell you things and will interpret Bible scripture in, in a bad way. But I'd say always look for the context of those verses. If you have somebody telling you that the Bible is about worldly riches and getting worldly riches and uh, working your way to heaven, then please just look around that verse. Take a look at the whole passage. Take a look at the whole context of it. And what you'll find is that most probably it isn't talking about that at all. It's talking about eternal riches um, and reward in heaven. Um, and how do we know that? You know, Well, we know it because... If you look at the Bible, the entire Bible is focused on Jesus. Everything points to Jesus in the Bible. Every single thing in the Bible points to Jesus. And it, 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 it also points to that story of salvation, that story of salvation and eternity. So if you're reading a passage in the Bible, much better look at it and try to find Jesus in that passage rather than yourself. Try to find Jesus there. Try to find things that point to eternity rather than trying to find things, as you naturally would, that point to joy in this life. Because it's, far, it's very easy for you to, be, to go in the wrong direction if you look at it through human logic. And I'd say just stop looking at your position, your popularity, your achievements, your health, as what matters in this life. Because what matters, what real success is to God is our hearts, is how we reflect him in our lives, um, is how we bear fruit in our lives, how we spread the word of Jesus in our lives. These are the things that matter, how we worship God, how we put him first and we put others first. This is what matters to God. You know, that is real success for us. And the reason we can do that with freedom is because we don't need to work our way to heaven. It's already been done. We've already been saved. If we believe in Jesus, we've already been saved. So we don't have a mission in this life to get ourselves saved. We've already been saved. That is not our goal. Our goal is not to get ourselves into heaven. Because if we believe in Jesus, we're in heaven. Okay? We will get to heaven in eternity. We will get our rewards. We don't need to, we don't need to fret about it. We don't need to think about ourselves anymore because we have that assurance of salvation. Instead, let's just put our efforts into bringing the gospel to people and to showing love to people in our lives. 
you know, because that is success in God's, God's views. And that is showing naturally through our natural works that we have been saved and that we have the Holy Spirit. You know, we need to, I'd, I'd also encourage us to, to think, realise that God in his wisdom has chosen the weak and he will use the weak. He will use us. He's got ways to use us, even at our weakest points, even when we're feeling incredibly down, even though we might not be feeling up to it at all, even though we've had a terrible time, God can still use us in our lives and he will use us. We just need to be willing and open to it. And we can do this happy because we already have the victory in Christ, uh, the wisdom of God.